1: hello and welcome to africa digest on channel africa where we give you news from an african perspective we are broadcasting to you from johannesburg in south africa on 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band if you are in southern africa my name is Spumele Lezondi i'm with Musibudi Makura New top stories Ordinary South Africans and political observers alike are questioning the timing of President Jacob Zuma's announcement that he's appointed a commission of inquiry into the state capture Aid agencies have raised concern about the rapid spread of cholera in the Democratic Republic of Congo 2018 is an election year in Cameroon, but many people voting age are reluctant to register to vote. In economics, Egypt's monthly urban inflation rate fell for the first time in more than two years. And in sports, nations get ready for the 2018 China tournament. On the left, it has news.
2: Think is Democratic Republic of Congo's electoral body has received the first voting machines from South Korea as it prepares for the long-delayed elections that the government had pledged to hold in December. The vote is supposed to bring about the belated departure of President Joseph Kabila in power since 2001. Kabila was supposed to step down last year but postponed the polls. It, however, remains unclear if the 45 million Congolese voters who registered in 2017 will finally get to choose a new president, deputies and elected representatives in the vote set for December 23, 2018. Tensions have been mounting after Kabila's refusal to step down at the scheduled time last year, and his government's brutal repression of protests that have sparked concerns from the UN and several nations. Corruption Watch in South Africa says it is concerned that President Jacob Zuma may be trying to muddy the waters by broadening the scope of the state of capture inquiry. The president has appointed Deputy Chief Justice Raymond Zondo to lead the commission of inquiry. Zuma said the commission must seek to uncover not just the conduct of some, but all those who might have been involved in state capture. Former Public Protector Tuluma Donzel has recommended that Zuma appoints a commission to be headed by a judge following the release of her report into allegations of an improper relationship between Zuma, other state officials and the Gupta family. Corruption Watch Executive Director David Lewis.
3: Her instruction to the President was to set up a commission of inquiry to investigate the alleged capture by the Zuma family working in concert with the Gupta family of key decision-making structures and institutions of the state. And any attempt to broaden it beyond that, we will view as an attempt to
4: make sure that nothing focused comes out of the Commission.
2: The Electoral Commission in Zimbabwe has begun a month-long exercise to register eligible voters so they can take part in the August poll. All Zimbabweans are required to re-register using a new biometric system that uses fingerprint and facial recognition technology. The BBC's Shinganyoka has
0: more. The Electoral Commission's month-long mop-up exercise begins today. It's targeting so-called aliens, hundreds of thousands of people from neighboring countries who have lived in Zimbabwe for decades, but who only recently, through a constitutional court ruling, have won the right to vote. The Commission has registered 4,800 people so far, and admits its 7 million target was just too ambitious. Last year, the government announced it would scrap the old voters' rule, which the opposition believed had been used to rig previous elections.
2: Meanwhile, Zimbabwean Correctional Services authorities are reportedly seeking President Emerson Nangagwa's consent to pardon at least 2,000 inmates in order to ease congestion in the country's overloaded prisons. According to the state-owned Chronicle newspaper, Justice, Legal and Parliamentary Affairs Minister Ziyambi Ziyambi said that the release of the prisoners is a priority of his ministry's 100-day plan. Ziyambi said that his ministry is also working on clearing the 374 mentally ill prisoners to reduce the congestion in the prisons. At least 2,000 prisoners were released in 2016, with authorities appealing to the released convicts not to return to a life of crime. The Southern African country often pardons inmates as it tries to free up space in its overcrowded prisons. Lastly, at least 29 people have now been confirmed dead in Madagascar after a cyclone hits the island over the weekend. Tropical cyclone Ava passed through Madagascar on Friday and Saturday, hitting mostly the eastern coast of the island with wind speed of between 140 to 190 kilometers per hour. More than 13,000 people have been displaced by the cyclone and schools closed until uh, tomorrow due to flooding and risk of landslides. In March last year, 78 people were killed when cyclone Ina struck Madagascar's northeastern coast. Channel African News, I'm Onilin Sinsi.
1: Thank you very much, Onele. Now, ordinary South Africans and political observers alike are today questioning the timing of last night's expected announcement by President Jacob Zuma that he's appointed a commission of inquiry into the state of capture. Former public protector Tulima Donzela, who released the report into state of capture before her term in office expired back in 2016, says the commission could face more challenges due to delays before it's established. More from political commentator Dr. Suma Dodafi. Again.
5: I do think that it has to do more with politics around the timing. The first one, the conference of the ANC, which was held in Nazareth, had decided that the commission and the investigation into state capture should take place without any further delay. And he had probably angered many of them when, after the conference, he appealed yet again. So he knew that this would be an issue that could be discussed in the NSC meeting with the question of two centers of power, the president of the country, not taking instructions from the ANC being raised and probably being a catalyst for his recall, ultimately. And the second one is the fact that parliament is preparing rules for impeachment And again, influencing the mood around that so that people can start opening their minds to the possibility of a negotiated exit rather than a more humiliating recall or humiliating impeachment process.
6: Mm.
0: now in and on that note of a negotiated um exit of course this is one of the topics that's really got uh, tongues wagging at the moment um a decision by the NEC um uh, on whether or not to recall uh president zuma or to have that negotiated conversation um what would this mean for the the, the party ahead of the 2019 general elections?
5: i do think that uh, the party leaders irrespective of which faction they may be belonging to do understand the political exposure and the political cost of keeping President Zuma into 2019. So either way, they may actually try to facilitate his exit somewhere in 2018. It may not come in the next few weeks. It may not come at the beginning of the year. But at some point, I do think that ANC will realize, especially when most of the court cases commissions of inquiry start coming in revealing some of embarrassing information around the president. So to that extent, I do think that they are beginning to see him as a political liability Mm. that might cost the ANC and therefore will be negotiating how instead of whether to remove him in 2018.
0: Mm -hmm. And talking about the legal woes that the president has had and, of course, the pending um, legal um, cases that we're expecting, there have been talks about a possible amnesty for uh, the president once he does go. How feasible is this? And would this not then set a precedence on what happens uh, to people who do face corruption charges?
5: Well, I do think that at this stage, ANC leadership has very little control over his fate because he has stretched this process when he was still in power and as such it is now purely a legal and a technical process that they may not interfere with without the protestation of the public or the opposition parties. All what they can do is to make sure that once everything even the sentencing takes place they may actually consider options of pardoning him so that he doesn't suffer further humiliation
1: that's dr somato defin who is a south african political analyst speaking to zikona miso the Zimbabwe Peace Project says it welcomes the signing into law of the National Peace and Reconciliation Commission Act by President Emerson Mnangagwa. Mnangagwa signed the National Peace and Reconciliation Commission Bill into law, making operational the commission that was appointed in 2016. Zimbabwe Peace, a project which monitors and documents incidents of human rights violations and breaches of peace says while the act has been anticipated for a while, it is a step in the right direction towards promoting national healing, unity and cohesion from wounds and trauma brought about by the Southern African country's legacy of sad episodes of conflict. The organization's director, Justina Mogoko, explains.
7: First and foremost, I would like to say we are happy that the act has finally been signed. Um, It has taken a long time for us to come this far. As you are aware, the commissioners were sworn in several months ago, and uh, it meant that they could not operate. And uh, as Zimbabweans, we believe that the issue of reconciliation and healing is a profound issue that needs to be given a priority in this country. In terms of the issues that we are uh, not happy with, at uh, the moment. um, I think it's the issue of the act not being victim-centered. In the Zimbabwe Peace Project, I suppose I need to explain uh, where we are coming from. We monitor and document human rights violations and or political violence. And so we... advocate for victims of human rights violations and also of political violence. And uh, when we looked at that act, we recognized that uh, it's not really victim-centered. But I suppose our hopes are not all lost. Uh, because there's still the opportunity for the National Peace and Reconciliation Commission to work on its uh, regulation. And we are pinning our hopes on the regulations that probably they will be able to tighten some of the screws that we are concerned about.
8: Now, in the last uh, few weeks, uh, activists in uh, South Africa and Bulawayo took to the streets in a protest demanding answers on uh, the atrocities of Gukurahundi in uh, the 1980s. Do you think this commission will finally close uh, that painful chapter of uh, Gukurahundi atrocities, uh, Ms. Mukoko?
7: I am hopeful that uh, this is one of the issues that they are going to tackle. And uh, I think if you saw our statement that we issued after the act was signed, uh, we actually said we quoted the the protest in South Africa and the protest in Bulaway and said those things, people are basically saying, let's talk about it. And um, it is the role of the National Peace and Reconciliation Commission to ensure that those issues are spoken about. Because there are issues of truth-telling about the different episodes of conflict. And I'm glad from the press conference that the National Peace and Reconciliation Commission actually confirms that there are these different epochs of conflict in Zimbabwe and they are saying that they want to be able to look at these different epochs of, um, of conflict because um, they have also influenced the way that people continue to be in conflict with each other. So unless those issues in the past, dealt with. Even if we see the Gukurawundi issue as dark as it seems, I think there is an opportunity with the National Peace and Reconciliation Commission for it to be spoken about so that we also, as a country, eventually agree that we do not want such a thing care
8: in the future. Now, most uh, stakeholders uh, during uh, the hearings and other subsequent consultations uh, had suggested that the commission should report uh, directly to parliament as opposed to uh, reporting to the minister responsible. Is it your view Ms. Mukoko that uh, this commission should report directly to parliament instead of reporting to a minister? Indeed um,
7: and that is the position of the Zimbabwe Peace Project as well, that um, I think it would um, actually be more independent if it reports directly to Parliament. And I think in all the consultations that we had with the Commission, we always brought up the issue of the Minister being a kind of a middleman as mudding the waters.
8: Now, you have uh, alluded earlier that uh, the chairperson of uh, this commission should be appointed as soon as possible. Now, some, including ZAPU spokesperson, Ipitule Tembani Maposa, have uh, suggested that the government of Zimbabwe should consider appointing a non-Zimbabwean to chair the commission. What are your thoughts on uh, this, uh, Ms. Mukoku? Should a non-Zimbabwean be appointed to chair this commission, do you think?
7: I'm not sure where their ideas are coming from, but I believe that the problems that are facing Zimbabwe um, should be problems that Zimbabweans themselves should be able to to deal with, Um, unless probably if it proves that we are unable to deal with those issues. I strongly believe that we have capable individuals in Zimbabwe who can be able to tackle this issue.
1: That is Justina Mukoko, the director of the Zimbabwe Peace Project, talking to Kumbero Mujerare.
5: Channel Africa has good news for you. We have extended our reach. If you have an iPad or iPhone, download the Channel Africa iOS app at itunes.apple.com. If you have a cell phone, then get our Android app at Google Store. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
1: Aid agencies have raised concern about the rapid spread of cholera in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which uh, they say threatens to dramatically worsen what is already one of the world's largest humanitarian crises. More than 53,000 cases of the disease have been reported so far, with cases reported in parts of the country where it is rarely seen. The waterborne disease has also claimed the lives of more than 1,000 people since it surfaced early last year. More from Dr. for Traore, African Regional Director for the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent.
9: Since last year, I think throughout January to the end of the year, the country has recorded more than 53,000 cases with more than 1,000 deaths. And the outbreak is ongoing, which means that the numbers will increase, and as Uh, you know with a big country, like um, DRC, with uh, lack of access in some of the areas that the outbreak is going to, it's even difficult to say precisely what is the exact number? And that's one of the big concerns.
0: Give us an indication, doctor, of the level of human suffering that the outbreak has caused. What's the situation like on the ground?
9: You know, cholera is what we used to call the disease of dirty hands. You know, lack of water, lack of sanitation. And this definitely is affecting, really, those that are already vulnerable. Those that are already fleeing the uh, villages and uh, trying to find you know, shelter in uh, more secure areas. Children, women, those will be the most uh, affected. And in addition to the situation we already know in DRC with decades of you know, political, or economical crisis or social crisis, then you have a cholera crisis that is being added. Also, the raining season has started. You look at it, it's uh, exploding uh, almost because, you know, you add uh, lack of health facility, you add uh, the cholera germ that is already there in the community and the raining season starting and washing whatever is there as germs into the water that people need to use for their uh, daily needs. And uh, lack of water is uh, another big issue. So the humanitarian situation is uh, dire. It requires uh, greater attention.
0: Let's talk about your role. How is the IFRC responding to the outbreak? And are there any circumstances that make any sort of attempt to treat or help those affected
6: difficult?
9: As the International Federation of Red Cross and the Red Crescent, our partner on the ground is the Red Cross of DRC. That has been uh, already in that region in Grand Kasai, supporting you know internally displaced people with food, with uh, cash, also you know helping them to understand the disease transmission, which is related to mass communication. They are doing that you know, uh, supporting two thousand displaced people, but there are many more that uh, need uh, our support what we're trying to do is to increase our support to 244,000 people, which represents maybe 10% of people uh, exposed to cholera in only the Lomani province, where the Red Cross is uh, trying to scale up its intervention. So we fundraising, and uh, we hope that we will be able to support some of the affected people, not only now, but uh, for a longer term, up to nine months, so that uh, we can help solve the crisis today, but continue building communities' resilience so that there is a better understanding, communities can be better organized, and that we, with other players, look at the possibility of having access.
0: Are people now beginning to understand what cholera is and what one needs to do in order to avoid contracting it, especially in areas where it's less prevalent?
9: It's very difficult, really, to say it because for the last decade on annual basis, we've been seeing cholera here and there in DRC, you know, around 20,000 cases. It's not all the time the same places. So it's really difficult today to say why things are not uh, really going to the right direction, why are we really not being able to eliminate the cholera from DRC? The context itself poverty, you know lack of clean water, lack of sanitation, and good understanding of the transmission of the disease are uh, really the driver of these recurrent outbreaks. But I think, uh, really, having recognized that, if really greater attention can be given to that crisis and that in a a really holistic manner, all interested people can come together, work with the communities, to let them understand how the disease is uh, transmitted, to ensuring that, really, the needed supplies are available now we could do a good job, but we're not there yet.
0: How much is needed to support your efforts and are enough funds being poured into this situation?
9: We're talking about the millions of dollars. Our own appeal as an international federation, our plan is with our capacity to support 10% in one single province, which is the Lomani province, you know, we're looking at 2.4 million US dollars to give the support. But I know that the government of DRC is looking at the millions because if you have 53,000 people affected, it's a lot and it puts many million people at risk of acquiring cholera.
1: That is Dr. Fadumada Nafo-Drawore, African Regional Director for the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies, talking to Elizabeth Lidecha. 2018 is an election year in Cameroon, but many people of voting age are reluctant to register to vote, saying they do not expect anything to change in the 35 years rule of the country's president, Paul Beer, as their votes have never counted since elections are always rigged to favor him and his party. The country also faces a serious crisis as a result of terrorism on its northern border with Nigeria and the Anglophone conflicts that are making many potential voters not to register. Moki Zaga is in Yaounde.
10: Staff of Cameroon's elections management body, ELECAM moved from shop to shop at the Bezin Fundi market in Yaounde convincing potential voters to have their names registered on electoral list ahead of local council, parliamentary and presidential elections to be held by September this year if the electoral calendar is respected. But not everyone is interested. 34-year-old business lady Winifred Bwe says she believes voting cannot influence the outcome of any elections in Cameroon.
2: Last election year I went to vote i saw that somebody have already voted i saw my name that somebody have already voted and i was not the one and political parties are complaining that the elections are always rigged by the ruling government so i don't think my
0: voting will change anything
10: cameroon president paul bia has been in power for 35 years and opposition parties complained that elections are always rigged to his favour or that of his party which has always been majority at parliament and controls more than 300 of the 360 local councils in cameroon besides the voter apathy cameroon is currently experiencing tensions in its english-speaking regions where armed separatists have declared the independence of the state they call ambazonia leading to violent conflicts and the displacement of thousands According to UNICEF, the Central African State has been battling with Boko Haram insurgency that has crippled activity on its northern border with Nigeria and killed about 25,000 people and displaced 2 million in Cameroon, Nigeria, Chad and Niger, according to the UN. Pauline Joewe official of the opposition political party the movement for the defense of the republic MDR says people are unable to register because the Boko Haram conflict has led to the closure of hundreds of registration centers. Aujourd'hui, He says many potential voters are unable to acquire national identity cards because police identification stations in some border zones were closed due to Boko Haram tensions. He says if the elections management body, ELECAM, and the government want many more people of voting age to register, they should reopen the identification offices. ELECAM is targeting at least 10 million from the estimated 12 million people aged 20 and above who are supposed to vote. So far, barely 6.5 million voters have registered. Abdulai babali head of Cameroon's elections management body elecam says they will intensify strategies to convince people to register
6: we are developing a new strategy in rural areas generally people take their time we are going to have caravans informing them long in advance and then we implicate the traditional rulers and uh, civil society to help us because time is against us In medium cities, we also have our caravans and multiply our enrolling stations in order to catch as many voters as possible.
10: Babali says they can only move to conflict zones when the military assures them that peace has returned and has dismissed as unfounded allegations that they wreak elections to favor Paul Bia, who appoints officials to the elections body. Cameroon embraced biometric registration in 2012, but opposition political parties say it has not been a solution to the rigging. It is their wish to see transparent elections this year if the electoral calendar is respected. BIA can postpone the elections if CAM does not return to hotspots. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzuka in Yaoundé, Cameroon.
1: On Ellen Zinzi has your news headlines.
2: Nigeria's Independent National Electoral Commission says that presidential and national assembly elections will be held on February 16, 2019. The Electoral Commission in Zimbabwe has begun a month-long exercise to register eligible voters so they can take part in the August poll. And the Democratic Republic of Congo's electoral body has received the first voting machines from South Korea as it prepares for the long-delayed elections. Channel African News, I'm Onilun
1: Thank you very much, Onale. Now, heavy gunfire reportedly erupted last night between rival factions at two military bases in Ivory Coast's second-largest city, Bouaké. Bouaké was the epicenter of several months of army mutinies last year that spread to cities and towns across several uh, across the West African country, forcing the government to cave in to demands for bonus payments and promotions. The country has emerged from a decade-long political crisis and one of africa's largest growing economies and a darling of international investors however last year's instability laid bare the dangerous divisions that still persist within an army cobbled together from rival rebel and loyalist factions at the end of a 2011 civil war ivory coast journalist Marius skwasi has more
11: heavy gunfire was heard uh, during the night And the spokesperson of the Defense Ministry said, actually, top officials are currently investigating the matters. And according to them, it is a personal quarrel and a confrontation between uncontrolled soldiers of different units of the regular armed forces. But again, I must emphasize the fact that the spokesperson of the Defense Ministry said, at the time being, it is still unclear... I mean the reasons of the gunfire is still unclear and they are currently investigating the, the, the matter to find what really happened in Buwake last night.
8: Now the outbreak of a renewed uh, violence follows uh, days of tensions in Buwake between participants in last year's mutinies uh, and members of an elite military unit known as uh, the CCDO. Tell us about the tension between uh, these two groups. Why are they at each other's throats?
11: Buwake is... Uh, Actually, you have at least four military barracks in Bouake, and you are you have again a dozen of military units in Bouake. And maybe it's also important to recall the fact that Bouake was the stronghold of former rebel forces. And you sometimes have, I mean, confrontations erupt between these forces. And as you said, the deal which is like a mixed forces and other unit group, sometimes you have a personal quarrels because. One of the weakest points of the actual army is that some units are still, let's say, under the control of former warlords who sometimes are not really... Uh, cultural soldiers and who puts their own interests i mean uh, instead of uh, let's say the, the public interest so sometimes you have some kind of confrontation that erupting between themselves and unfortunately that claim the lives of civilians and mutineers
8: has the president said anything with regards to this uh, gunfire had last night
11: at the time being the president had uh, not i mean comment on the gunfire that happened uh, yesterday night But again, I must say that uh, in December uh, 27, last year, uh, the government paid thousands of soldiers 15 million CFR, local currency, which is around 25,800 US dollars each as part of buyouts aimed at reducing the size of the army. So right now, around 1,000 soldiers left the army and the government has a plan of having 4,400 troops leave the army over the next fourth year. Which means that, for now, the government has entered a, I mean, a plan of, you know, try to reduce the size of the army and try to clean up the army so that the former soldiers and those who were belong to the rebel forces and who were still uncontrolled could leave the army so that the, we can have an army that is still republican. So this is what the government said, and this is what the president himself said during the end of year speech. So at the time being, again, the president has not commented on the mutiny, uh, the, the, the gunfire that happened in Boaque. So we are waiting, we are waiting for his comment on this, because people would like to know the position of top officials, and uh, among them the president, over what happened yesterday night in Boaque.
1: Maurice Kowans is a journalist in Ivory Coast, talking to Channel Africa's Okumero. Mujerare. Illegal smuggling networks, which have imprisoned, tortured and abused thousands of migrants trying to cross Libya, must be tracked and prosecuted. That is according to Othman Belbasi, who is the United Nations Migration Agency, IOM's mission chief in Libya. Shocking reports exposing a modern-day slave trade and rampant migrant abuse in multiple detention centers last year has led to a major reassessment of the measures being taken to tackle smuggling along the central Mediterranean migration routes through libya Pelbasi spoke to mustafa al
3: this voluntary humanitarian return program is a specific program to support migrants stranded in libya and voluntarily willing to go back to their home countries those migrants many of them do not have the funds to cover their ticket back home so they approach iom to help them go back home those migrants are of different categories Some have been working in Libya for a long time and now they don't see any future or they lost their jobs because of the current situation. And others are new arrivals who were looking for opportunities in Libya but were misinformed about the situation and find themselves stranded. Another part of the migrants are those who tried their chances to take the boats to Europe and many of them, I would say, were not successful and some of them ended up in detention centres without any means and they thought that going back home to start a new life would be the best option. Just to confirm that this programme is based on the request of the people and it's voluntary and follow a detailed registration process with the migrants. Some IOM reports talk about rampant migrant abuse in Libya. Could you uh, talk to us some more about that? When we talk about migrant abuse, we know that uh, there is a number of smugglers, increasing number of smuggling networks all over the country. Once you are on the hand of a smuggler, you can imagine that migrants are subject to all types of abuse, especially that the majority of them are not even documented. And many, even when they cross the border towards Libya, there is no registration process. So even their families do not know whether they cross to Libya or they are in one of the neighboring countries. So they are totally under the mercy of the smugglers. And there has been reports about many cases of abuse and torture by the smugglers. Now, many international news outlets have been calling this modern-day slavery. Is that really what's happening in Libya? Would you call it that? When we talk about modern day slavery, you know, when you hold people against their will in a certain location and when people are traded for money between smugglers and when you hold people for ransom, torture people, sending photos to their families, asking the families to pay ransom. We believe that this is a major concern and those smuggling networks should be tracked and prosecuted. What are the demographic of this 181 migrants who were
11: sent back to Lagos?
3: The majority of the migrants in Libya are young males. A number of migrants have also some medical issues. So last year we returned 252 migrants with medical cases who were supported immediately with medical escort during the flight also reception and admission to hospitals upon return back home. When we talk about these vulnerable migrants uh, stranded in Libya, do you have a particular story that uh, you'd
8: like to share with us?
3: Many of the migrants, as, as I said, have been in Libya for a long time, sometimes 10 or 20 years. Because of the current situation, they had to leave their area of residence and lost their job. So the migrants themselves became displaced. And this is one of the main challenges for the migrants who stayed in Libya for long. They are used to the culture, they are known in their neighborhood, but unfortunately once they leave their area of residence, they become unknown in the new area and sometimes perceived as a threat. We hear a lot of stories about promises made by smugglers or by potential employers in Libya, and once you arrive, you are in the hands of the smugglers and you have no power. In addition, a common story now is becoming kidnapping migrants or holding them against their will, asking for ransom from the families. And this is becoming increasingly worrying practice because many people are subject to abuses and torture by the smugglers. And what is IOM looking to do in 2018 to help these migrants in Libya? The return program is only part of the work and addresses specific and small number of migrants in the country. So if we talk about the country with more than 700,000 migrants, we are talking about the return of 20,000 during 2017, which means that the majority still work and live in Libya. So we will continue with our programs, mainly capacity building for all government officials dealing with migration with a focus on the human rights, but also with a lot of focus on counter-trafficking. We plan to expand and establish new safe spaces to be able to hold vulnerable migrants outside detention. We have signed an agreement with UNICEF to strengthen the cooperation when it to migrant children and unaccompanied minors, and I believe this agreement will be of great added value of our coordination together between the two agencies for the best interest of minors and children. We plan also to continue our advocacy for the closure of detention centers and look more for alternatives to detention. On the other hand, we need to continue with the direct assistance and support to migrants inside detention centers as long as they exist. We are now establishing what we call Migrant Resource and Response Mechanism, which includes information sharing and providing immediate support to migrants along the migration routes. IOM does in the country is what we call Community Stabilization, which is working with local communities, not only to promote peace, but to provide basic services, basic infrastructure and to support the local communities, Libya, is a country that has always been dependent on migrants, Libya would require support in all the fields, especially to have the political agreement and security in place for the Libyans and for the migrants.
1: Osman Bilbasi is the United Nations Migration Agency or IOM's mission chief in Libya, speaking to UN Radio's Mustafa Al-Kamal. The Indian National Parliament will debate a bill on menstrual benefits for working women later this month, but some activists say the draft could turn into a job killer if it becomes law, Rana Sen reports.
12: It is a taboo topic in India, something rarely talked about, but the draft law promises two days of paid leave every month for women to somewhat ease their discomfort at the start of the period. But rights activist Deepika Bharadwaj warned employers may then think twice before hiring even qualified women professionals.
2: When we are talking about equality, when we are saying that women and men have no difference, there are no biological differences, there are no mental differences, they're absolutely the same, then asking for a privileged leave like this, I think, puts women at disadvantage. I think it's opinion of a very specific set of feminists who are propagating this uh, sort of a propaganda. I don't think... Most of the women would want to have this segregation or a specific advantage to them because it will
11: inherently disadvantage them.
12: Last July, Culture Machine kicked off the debate when it offered days off to women employees. President Devlina Marjumdar said the unblushed policy worked well for her Mumbai-based communications firm.
11: It is a gesture to support women. And we stand by women who go through pain and extreme uneasiness during their initial uh, days of the menstrual cycle. So that's how FOP was born in our system. And uh, yes, we took interviews from women and we actually broke a surprise internally and they were all happy. There's no need to generalize this because it is for those women who go through this pain, uneasiness. Secondly, it's an optional leave.
12: Women participation is on the decline since 2005, despite having 42% women who are graduates. But Surizi Sharma, who runs a campaign called Happy to Bleed, argued a law such as the one proposed would help. I think it's an idea that is evolving in the sense that we are evolving in the alternative workspaces are evolving and it's a good way to acknowledge a lot of people who actually suffer through pain. Especially when we talk about, you know, being introduced to menstruation. Our mothers mostly do that and they never teach us how to deal with pain. India's suffering woman would also get a leg up with the release this month of the world's first movie on sanitary towels. Akshay Kumar Starer, Padman, also cajoles Hinduism not to treat menstruating women as unclean. And It is high time that we start talking about it because if you, if you want to make our country strong, we have to make our mothers strong. We have to make our sisters strong. And then, then only will our country be strong because I believe and everybody believes all the strong men comes from the womb of our mothers and we have to make sure that they are protected. This is Rana Sen reporting from New Delhi. It is now time
1: for your economics.
6: Good evening. Zambian President Edgar Lungu says the government is resolved to grow the country's economy by at least five percent and maintain a stable exchange rate with a single-digit inflation in 2018. Lungu says he is concerned about the pace at which the delivery of farming inputs is being done. Meanwhile, Lungu, who was speaking in his address to the nation on New Year's Eve, said. 2017 had been quite a challenging year for government due to political tension experienced in the aftermath of the 2016 general elections. Egypt's monthly urban inflation rate fell for the first time in more than two years as the impact of lifting currency controls eased. According to the state-run statistics agency, CAPMAS, The month-on-month inflation rate came in at 0.2% in December, its lowest rate in November 2015, while the annual inflation rate eased to 21.9% from 26 points the previous month. Annual prices were affected by a slowing of the increase in food and beverage prices. Namibian analysts have argued that the domestic economy might not experience any growth during the 2017 period, despite the Bank of Namibia expecting growth of 0.6%. Speaking to the Namibian, Capricorn Group's economic analyst, Claudia Buoma, said average growth in 2017 was based on the first three quarters, 1.6%. When considering that the factors which caused the slowdown are still in play. Burma said it would be fortunate if the economy shows any growth at all for 2017. Uganda's former Uchumi supermarket's chief executive, Julius Kipnatic, has been appointed as the chief executive officer of Jubilee Holdings, where he has been serving as a non-executive director. The move that took effect on January the first, 2016, or rather 18, will see the new boss coordinate the insurance firm's regional operations and try to change the fortunes of the insurer. In November 2017, Kibnatish resigned as Uchumi Supermarkets Limited Chief Executive Officer after two years of service in the struggling retailer. In a public notice, the supermarket informed its shareholders and stakeholders that the board of directors had accepted without reluctance the resignation of Dr. Kipnetich as the company's CEO. South Africa's rand has been weaker in early trade on Wednesday, tracking a softer euro and a British pound as the previous session's brief gain gave way to bearish sentiment that has weighed on the currency for most of the week. The currency has traded in a narrow range in the week, leaning towards losses as it retraced the sharp gains in the final weeks of 2017 that saw it raced to two-and-a-half-year highs, ignoring a weak local economic outlook to outshine its EM peers technical and momentum indicators also suggest the unit is due a sell-off while a rebound in demand for the dollar as lending rates are there looks set to rise has weighed on sentiment the us dollar trades at 1234 in south africa it's at 968 in botswana and at 105 in zambia it's also trading at 73 pence to the british pound 83 cents to the euro Gold trades at $1,311, platinum $958 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $69.20 a barrel. am Tabisolo Hoko.
1: Thank you very much, Tabi. So it is now time for your sports news with Musibu de Makura.
0: evening, sports fans, and starting off with football news, hosts Morocco will look for a fast start in the 2018 African Nations Championship when they face Mauritania in the tournament opener at Stadia Mohammed in Casablanca on Saturday night. Now, Morocco will be making a third successive appearance at the tournament, having reached the quarterfinals on debut back in 2014, followed by a group stage exit at the last Chan tournament in Rwanda two years ago. Now, this time around, expectations are high for Koj Jamal, Salami and his locally based side, with Morocco having enjoyed a wonderful 2017, which saw the senior national team secure a return to the World Cup finals for the first time since 1998, as well as awaited Casablanca winning the CAF Champions League. Now, kickoff on Saturday night is set for 9.30 p.m. Central African Time. The tournament concludes on the 4th of February. The South African under-20 women's national football team is just two matches away from booking a place at this year's FIFA under-20 women's World Cup set to take place in France between the 5th and the 24th of August. But first, Basisana face Nigeria on Saturday the 13th of January at the Pitamokaba Stadium in the Limpopo province in the first leg qualifier before travelling to Nigeria two weeks later. Head coach Mod Kumalo knows what is at stake. As a coach I need to take that pleasure and block it not go through to the players because of these ones are uh, some of them are young and they never played Nigeria before but I guess it's a blessing in disguise that I have like uh, uh, players that played Nigeria before and then they've grown within the game and their best players so far so for me I, um, it's a blessing in disguise as I said and then like before they played with Nigeria without knowing what they they are up against and then now they know what they are up against and they are willing to give their best and they willing to fight with tooth and nail to get this sport to, to, to go to the World Cup. Well, Basisana reached the final qualification phase of the World Cup showpiece with convincing victories over Namibia as well as Burundi. Now having cut short their festive break, the team has been hard at work in preparation for this encounter with the aim of making history and becoming the very first South African under-20 women's national team to qualify for the FIFA World Cup. Coach Kumalo says the mood in camp is at an all-time high. The mood in the camp, I can say it's very positive. In a sense that uh, the girls are relaxed and they, they are like open-minded and they know what they are up against. I mean, this is a challenge we, we need to face, so they are ready for it, yeah. And finally, tennis news, Gabi and Muguruza's preparations for next week's Australian Open have been thrown in disarray when the world number 3 pulled out of the Sydney International due to a leg injury earlier today. Now Hours after battling past Kiki Burton's 6-3, 7-6 to advance to the quarterfinals of her opening match, the 24-year-old Spanish top seed withdrew with a right thigh complaint. I'll swear, Radwanska, the 2013 champion and last year's losing finalist in Sydney, kept her preparations for this year's first Grand Slam on track with a 7-6 6 love win over teenage American qualifier CC Bellis. While well, Mazzara Sports News at the South, stay tuned to China Africa for more news from an African perspective. <laughs> This is
1: Africa Digest. Once well, this recap of stories on Africa Digest, ordinary South Africans and political observers alike are questioning the timing of President Jacob Zuma's announcement that he's appointed a commission of inquiry into the state of capture. Eight agencies have raised concern about the rapid spread of cholera in the DRC. 2018 is an election year in Cameroon, but many people of voting age are reluctant to register. And that wraps up Africa Digest for today. From myself, Spumalele, Zondi producer, Tracy Boomgard, a technical producer, Dumele Mogwena and the rest of the team. Thank you very much for listening. Send us emails, info at channelafrica.co.za on SMS, plus on Twitter, channel Africa1. We leave you with the komoas with the blue baby.
4: Siwaji <music> Wori tso naziridi Richie says No i mi se nahi wezi di ma hi jashon mulenza dosi ando hawani kaun <laughs> Sako wa mo ha kosu Dare pusi, fiti wa uri loa puzi Goma i saizin wa bi kumi Womai samari juan. ¡Gracias! Hori wanzo shembeza shawe kutubu Sikari jizo ranzo ukozo na kose Kari jenda uo uijizwe zazo Mrua maji uriroho rako uono encha Wamserere, 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 wamserere Sikari na uleme wa wabano mdihe Wabazi watangaza jifia ziti Ichi ten kudi, juambo zinroji. Ichi huluari, Ichi Shangazi waneza haki. Wamserere, 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 wamserere. I am a lady. I am a lady. I Yo sí Me ando no. Ndwa so, maji uriroho rako uono encha Wamserere 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 Sikari na uleme wa wamba no mdihe Wamba zi watangaza jifia ziti hise Jitijite mkudi Tuwambuzi mroji Viti riti shangazi waneza haki Wamserere Wamserere i
3: <inaudible>